I shan't bore you by explaining the carbuncles on my posterior and near the penis, the final traces of which are now fading, but which made it extremely painful for me to adopt a sitting and hence writing posture. I'm not taking arsenic because it dulls my mind too much and I need to keep my wits about me. So was an excerpt of a letter from Karl Marx to Friedrich Engels in 1867. Marx, who died in 1883, was one of the most influential philosophers of the 19th century and his radical writings formed the basis of modern communism. He is thought to have suffered from hydradenitis suppurativa, also known as HS, the topic of today's episode. Welcome to Spot Diagnosis, a podcast about all things dermatological, brought to you by the Skin Health Institute in Melbourne, Australia. I am Dr. Blake Mumford, Education and Research Fellow at the Institute. And I am Dr. Annalise Willems. I'm a GP, Medical Educator and Research Fellow at the Skin Health Institute. Blake and I are your co-hosts. As a reminder for our GP listeners, Spot Diagnosis has been accredited with RACGP and ACRAM. There is one CBD point per episode, so approximately 9 to 10 points per season. All you need to do is subscribe to the podcast, listen to all the episodes and fill in a brief evaluation form on spotdiagnosis.org.au. Repeat, spotdiagnosis.org.au. In this episode, our special guest is Associate Professor Erin McMiniman. Erin developed Queensland's first multidisciplinary clinic treating hydradenitis suppurativa, our topic for today. She is a consultant dermatologist at the Princess Alexandra Hospital and also works in private practice in Brisbane. Welcome to the show, Erin. Thank you very much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here, increasing awareness of this condition. To start things off, can we perhaps get you to talk about a typical case of HS that you have seen? Firstly, it's important to know this condition is a lot more common than we previously thought. We think about 1% of the population suffer from HS, so that's around 200,000 Australians. A typical case is someone who's getting recurrent boils and abscesses, often in the armpits and in the groin, and unfortunately they've often waited a really long time to get the correct diagnosis, on average seven years and having seen more than seven doctors before they finally get the correct diagnosis of HS. They often have a very poor quality of life because of the severity of the disease. Just like you described in the Karl Marx quote, it can be very painful and have a huge impact on their quality of life, their physical health and their mental health. So it tends to be in those flexural skin areas of the armpits and the groin, but it can actually be all over the body, including under the breasts, on the buttock and in other areas, unfortunately. It sounds as though the impacts of HS can be quite severe. What exactly is HS? That's a really important question because it has been misunderstood in the past. HS is actually an auto-inflammatory condition, so we should think of it like psoriasis or inflammatory bowel disease, and it's causing an abnormal inflammation in the hair follicles of your skin. They get blocked and then a huge inflammatory response ensues. The follicular unit then ruptures or bursts under the skin, and that exudate of inflammatory cells and pus spills out into the deeper layers of the skin and the stem cells from the follicular unit actually try to grow new skin tracts under the skin, and that causes those chronic painful sinus tracts that are really a hallmark of this condition. That sounds like a very complicated and likely painful process. HS can cause very severe pain, actually. That's a really important part of the disease process. It can cause that pain in the buttocks, groin and armpits, which makes a real impact on patients' physical ability. 
Sometimes they also have malodorous pus draining out of these chronic abscesses and sinus tracts, but it's not necessarily infected. It's a really important point. This pus is often sterile. It's a more inflammatory exudative neutrophils. It's not necessarily primarily caused by bacteria. Then that final stage is this development of sinus tracts or these new skin-lined tunnels under the skin. And these are often still very inflamed and painful. They tend to relapse and recur over time in the same location. And so in any patient, having three or more episodes of abscesses in those classic locations, it's really important to consider this auto-inflammatory disease of HS. You touched on this earlier, but which typical parts of the body does this occur? Yeah, the really classic sites are those skin flexures, so armpits, groin, and also in the buttock. But it's important to know it can be all over the body. So the highest lesion count I had in one patient was 412 separate inflammatory nodules all over his body, classic sites plus down his arms and legs, often around the neck uh, and can even be in the scalp. Single abscess is incredibly painful. Imagine what it must be like to have over 400 This would undoubtedly have a terrible impact on the patient. Erin, what is the psychosocial impact of having this disease? Yeah, that's a really important point and certainly something that drew me to getting involved in research in this condition and setting up clinics in this condition was that profound impact that I saw it have on a patient's life. So not only their health uh, due to their pain, and sometimes secondary infections, but also the impact on their mental health, their social health and their career plans, especially given at onsets in that late teens and 20s. It's often when all those things are really developing for a patient. So certainly from what I've seen, it's the worst impact on quality of life of any of our benign inflammatory diseases. And that can also be, as we mentioned, pain, but relationships and confidence. So many young people talk of avoiding sexual relationships completely because they're so terrified of somebody seeing these lesions. And that's compounded by the impact of delay to diagnosis. So we mentioned before this average of seven-year delay. And often people have been told things like you need to wash more, you need to lose weight, or they've been given five days of oral antibiotics, which are not going to help at all. Also, the simple incision and drainage of these lesions if it's HS, does not tend to help the way it would for a classic abscess. So I've found many patients tell a story of their journey getting really demoralised. They've been told lots of misinformation. They're presented to lots of primary care doctors and EDs, and they've been told things that haven't been helpful, and they often seem to withdraw from the health service altogether after many years of going through this. I think now might be a good time for a skin tip. So hydradenia suppurativa is a condition which presents with recurrent painful and discharging abscesses and nodules in the axillae, groin, and sometimes submammary areas. It is not infective, but rather inflammatory. HS is a cause of great morbidity to patients who are affected. Erin, historically it was thought that hydradenia suppurativa was a disorder of the apocrine sweat glands. Is this still thought to be the case? No, I'm really glad you asked that question because it turns out apocrine glands have nothing to do with HS. It got named that because it was primarily in the armpits and groin where there are lots of sweat glands. People thought they must be to blame, but they actually have nothing to do with it. Its primary problem is a blocked hair follicle and then this enormous inflammatory response to that blockage. And we know from studies now that patients with HS have much higher levels of cytokines than normal skin or even than diseases such as psoriasis. And those cytokines that are high in the tissue and the blood are examples such as TNF-alpha, interleukin-17, and interleukin-1. 
That's really interesting. You mentioned that hair follicles get blocked in HS. What causes this? We think lots of factors can contribute to that initial step. We know about 50% of patients have a family history of this, so there's definitely a genetic predisposition. Similarly to genetic predispositions we know in acne or psoriasis, we also know smoking increases your risk of getting this disease, as it can do also with certain acneiform eruptions. And smoking is a really important factor. It increases your risk of getting HS by about 13 times. And it's likely that the chemicals in cigarettes directly stimulate the immune system to go on this rampage. And then we know the last step is this increased rates of inflammatory cytokines in both the blood and the tissue. And they're similar to what's seen in those other autoimmune diseases, but up to 10 times higher levels in HS. Right. So smoking is obviously really important. Are there any other risk factors that we should know about? So we've got genetics, the smoking. Obesity is a factor, but less of a strong factor than those other things. Possibly the locations mean that it's due to increased friction and heat, perhaps why we get it in those areas like the armpits under the breasts and in the groin. It's more common in women and does tend to onset in the late teens and 20s. So it's likely that there's a hormonal driver or factor, certainly in some people. There's ongoing research also into the microbiome of the skin and the bowel and how that might relate uh, and this sort of interchange between skin microbiome, possibly skin secondary infections and gut health. Uh, and also what plays into that is diet, which many patients are interested in possible dietary factors, but not a lot's really well proven yet. We just know those things are associated. Do you see a situation where patients get into somewhat of a cycle where they become more overweight and therefore it becomes harder for them to exercise due to the pain? Absolutely. I think that's a really important problem. And I try to be really conscious of, you know, telling people to lose weight. As we all know, as doctors, that's often not very helpful. And often patients who are obese have tried over many years to reduce their weight. And if you have a condition that is painful, that is often disfiguring with the scarring, is contributing to shame and embarrassment and your mental health, you're in a really hard position from which to lose weight. So it's important to have a holistic approach to management, but also be really mindful of those factors that patients are dealing with. And I usually suggest exercise such as muscle building exercises, you know, gym-based high-intensity type things to improve their metabolism because asking these patients to go for a long jog or a bike ride is likely to flare their skin and often things like swimming, for example, they're not going to feel comfortable getting into traditional bathing suits. Quitting smoking can also be really difficult if you're uh, suffering from mental illness and living in chronic pain uh, and so it's also really important to be mindful of that and giving a patients a, a really good approach to dealing with the psychological aspects of smoking addiction, not just the nicotine. Do you refer patients to weight loss clinics or dietitians or some other service to help support them to lose weight? One of the best strategies at the moment I find is a team care arrangement that general practitioners can develop for patients with a chronic disease. And that can then entitle them to some of those services from allied health practitioners on Medicare. But as you would all know very well, those services are really expensive. And if you've got somebody whose career has been affected by their chronic disease, they often don't have a lot of spare money for private dietitians, exercise physiologists, gym memberships, psychologists, diabetes educators, all those services which are so necessary here. We find it very hard 
to get publicly. A current health system that I work in publicly, I cannot get access to any of those services for patients with HS. So we're reliant upon GP mental health care plans or team care arrangements so that we can try to get some help around the cost of those services. But in the long run, I would love there to be a holistic services based in the public hospital system or the community that these patients could access because I think that would be very beneficial for them. That holistic service sounds amazing. Hopefully that will come to fruition one day. In the meantime, how do we diagnose HS? HS is a clinical diagnosis, so there's no diagnostic test. It's a diagnosis whereby you get patients with recurrent boils or abscesses, usually three or more episodes in a year, in the classic sites that we've discussed of the skin folds and that sinus tract formational scarring that really is very classic of this disease. An early sign that you may see is interconnected blackheads that gets called polyporous comedones and that's really diagnostic of HS. So no other skin disease does that connected two or three blackheads. Unfortunately, as we discussed earlier, there's a real problem with delayed diagnosis and we need to make sure all doctors, especially GPs and emergency department doctors, know about those signs and help us achieve early diagnosis and prompt referral to dermatologists. I think it's time for another skin tip. Hydradenia suppurativa is associated with smoking, obesity and a family history. Clinically, hydradenia suppurativa can present with boils and abscesses, sinus tracts, scarring, and polyporous comedones. So what are the other differential diagnoses we need to consider when uh, looking at someone who presents with signs and symptoms suggestive of hydradenia suppurativa? That's interesting in that I think it's unlikely that anyone who looks like HS actually has these other diagnoses because I think the other diagnoses are usually considered very promptly by GPs. I think GPs are very aware of recurrent skin infections, virulent skin bacteria such as Staph aureus that's resistant to traditional antibiotics or that diabetes can obviously increase skin infections. So they're all things to think about in patients when you're seeing somebody with recurrent abscesses. But I think those things are usually pretty well thought about as it stands at the moment they will not cause that sinus tract formation and they will not give that polyporous comedones. Cutaneous Crohn's disease or Crohn's granulomatous inflammation in the skin can cause a similar looking condition to HS, but this tends to be only around the buttocks or the anus and the patient will have obvious symptoms in their gastrointestinal tract, such as diarrhea and blood in the bowel motions. So it's usually good to screen for those sort of things in patients. I often will do a glucose tolerance test for diabetes, including insulin levels at one and two hours, because often that picks the insulin resistance up really early. And that can give a really good basis for education for the patient and hopefully motivate them to improve their metabolism and their risk of developing diabetes in the future. So it sounds like the problem is that if we have someone presenting with these abscesses, we should actually be putting hydradenia suppurativa at the top of our list. Is that right? Definitely in someone getting more than three bouts in a year with scar formation. Absolutely. The top of the list, I agree. I've heard about something called Hurley staging. Could you please talk us through this? This is a traditional staging system for defining the stages of hydradenitis suppurativa into early or stage one, where you're just getting nodules isolated, you know, one to two centimetre nodules that come and go in these classic sites moderate or stage two, where you're starting to get that small sinus tract of scarring develop, but you've only got partial involvement in the region. 
And then stage three, which is the final stage or severe HS, where the whole region of the body, such as the whole armpit, is involved in the scarring and you've got no normal skin in between. Pearly staging is useful for documenting the stage of the disease at the diagnosis, but by definition, if you're stage two or three and you've already developed permanent scarring, you can't really improve or go back to stage one ever. So it's useful as a diagnostic tool, but I don't use it a lot with monitoring therapy. I'm much more likely to use other measures of, of disease activity at that point, such as abscess nodule count, where we literally just count all the abscesses and nodules in a patient. And that then you can be reviewed when you see them at the next appointment to see whether your treatments are working or not. Are there sort of some general or lifestyle advice recommendations that you make as a blanket rule for all your patients? Yeah, they're really important for all patients to be aware of those, whether you're stage one, two or three. Anyone who is smoking needs holistic support to quit smoking. And that includes even passive smoking. So I now, especially with young people presenting early in the disease, will advise them things like avoid your part-time job somewhere where you're going to be getting passive smoking. You know, think about those exposures at home or socially. All patients should aim to have a healthy body weight and stay fit, try to keep their metabolism up with exercise, particularly that muscle building exercise. And in all patients, I recommend topical preventative measures, which are antiseptic washes and a daily clindamycin lotion, which has been shown to help with how many flares they're getting. It's not well proven the effect of stress, but we, we know stress can flare many autoimmune diseases. So as much as possible, having a healthy life balance, eating well, making sure you're getting enough sleep, those sort of things logically make sense for me to advise to patients also. I think it's time for another skin tip. General measures for managing HS include weight loss, smoking cessation, daily washes with antiseptic solutions and reduction of stress. Now, Erin, I've heard that laser hair removal can be beneficial in managing HS. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, that's a common question that I've been asked by patients, especially because it is common in the armpit and groin where often patients are using hair removal practices. I find if hair removal practices or ingrown hairs are precipitating lesions, such as starting as inflammatory papules and becoming nodules and then abscesses or sinus tract, then I think permanent laser hair removal may help. But in most patients, to be honest, this is not a contributing factor. So many patients will have them you know, down their thighs or onto their buttock where hair removal or practices such as shaving or waxing, for example, are not occurring. So I don't find it uh, commonly a super important factor in controlling the disease. Moving on to medical modalities, how do you treat mild HS? So for example, Hurley stage one. So in those patients, it's probably most important, all that lifestyle prevention, education information that we went through just previously. Plus, for any new flared and painful nodules, I find resorcinol cream as a very effective peeling drawing agent. It helps dry out the lesion and draw out the inflammation. And I've had patients find that really amazingly helpful. HS, though, is not fixed by one thing. So all patients will get a mix of treatments and some creams that we just mentioned. How do you actually prescribe resorcinol? Yeah, it needs to be made up by a compounding pharmacist, and I personally use it as 15% resorcinol in emollient base. And I'd usually give patients 15 to 30 grams, depending how many nodules they were tending to get per month. Unfortunately, it's not on the PBS, and given it needs to be compounded 
it can be quite expensive to patients, often $50 to $60 for that 30 grams, and they then apply it to their painful lesions once or twice a day. And time for another skin tip. Mild HS can be treated with lifestyle modifications and specific treatments such as resorcinol cream, which is safe and effective. How do we manage patients who get these recurrent abscesses like we see in early stage two that we discussed earlier? Importantly, we'd still do all the general measures and topical measures that I've discussed above in stage one. But this is a sort of point where I would start considering options, including hormonal treatment for women. So that's anti-androgenic oral contraceptive pill. Common examples you may be familiar with is Diane, Yaz or Yasmin. I'd also consider spironolactone in a similar way to we use for adult female acne. It's important to know that some contraceptions, such as Implanon or Marina, can flare acne and HS. So just being mindful if, if the patient has had a significant flare after those, we may consider changing the contraception. The next option is long-term antibiotics, and we're using them for their anti-inflammatory properties, similarly to what we do in acne and that's antibiotics such as doxycycline and erythromycin. The other thing, if there are a few areas that really bother the patient, is intralesional steroids. So they can be good if there are certain areas that cause the patient most pain. Obviously, you can't be doing too many injections every time they come, but if there are three or four spots, I find that quite useful to reduce pain and inflammation and hopefully prevent that rupture and growth under the skin. In that case, I use Kenacort A10, usually one to two mils, and I often combine it with a local anaesthetic to give the patient some immediate relief of the severe pain that they're suffering. Then in areas and sinus tracts that have been active, relapsing and flaring for more than six months, that's when I'd start to consider de-roofing surgery, which is a more definitive process. Can you talk a little bit more about what that de-roofing surgery involves? De-roofing surgery is essentially where we cut the top off that entire sinus tract or rabbit warren that's grown under the skin. So it's important it then heals via secondary intention, which means we don't suture it together, don't do any flap or graft over the top of it. That surgery has really been a great surprise to me in how successful it has been for chronic painful sinus tracts. I've now done over 130 or so of these and the results in those localised areas that have been bothering the patient for a long time have really been fantastic. Obviously, we keep up all the other management for other areas that may still be flaring or new areas the patient may be getting. But often I find there's really one or two sinus tracts in a patient that are bothering them the most and they can handle the rest of their smaller nodules with the other measures. But those sinus tracts, even with intense medical therapy, often won't be completely cleared. For listeners who are interested in seeing a video of how this procedure is done, Erin has a series of videos uh, and we'll include these in these links in the podcast description. Uh, on to our next skin tip. Recurrent stage two hydradenia suppurativa can be treated with a mixture of hormonal treatments, long-term antibiotics, intralesional steroid injections, and where appropriate, de-roofing surgery. Treatment for hydradenia suppurativa should be tailored to the individual. Are there any other treatment options for even more severe HS? In more severe cases, often what we end up needing to do is combine multiple treatment modalities. In anyone who's got insulin resistance or early diabetes, we can add in metformin, which may help as an anti-androgen and also with their weight control. If there's more than 
10 active lesions, then I would start to consider immunosuppressive therapies such as adalimumab, which is an anti-inflammatory agent blocking TNF-alpha. And the combination of the above, topicals, hormonal treatments, antibiotics, possibly metformin and adalimumab, are all together can help a lot. There are also some other new experimental treatments uh, that are in trials, which sometimes if the above has failed, I would consider. And then in all patients, I start to consider the intralesional steroids or deroofing surgery if they've got certain areas that give them a big impact on their quality of life. You mentioned that intralesional steroids uh, are helpful. Do you ever use systemic steroids or other sort of oral immunosuppressants in that sort of line? That is really tempting. Uh, and I've had to use it a couple of times when there was just really absolutely terrible flare in patients. But the problem is, of course, the side effects of the steroids are going to quickly outweigh the benefit they're giving you. So you're exposing the patient to risks of you know, insomnia, psychiatric uh, sequelae, weight gain, osteoporosis and diabetes, not to mention worsening of secondary infections, which can be a problem in really severe deep tracts. I really now never use oral steroids, even though I know it may give them short-term relief because we're really shooting ourselves in the foot for that long-term outcome. Right. Okay. And adalumumab, how does that work in hydradinosuppurativa? Yeah. So it's working as an anti-inflammatory agent in the same way that it's used also to treat other auto-inflammatory diseases such as psoriasis and inflammatory bowel disease. So it's blocking the TNF-alpha cytokine inflammatory pathway, which we know increases that inflammation in the skin. Interestingly, we need to use double the dose of adalimumab for HS patients as would usually be used. Uh, And in about two-thirds of patients, they'll see a really significant improvement in their pain, in their drainage, and in their number of nodule counts. It's important to prepare patients with realistic expectations, though, because unfortunately, it's not a magic bullet. So they still need all the other treatments we discussed, but we're hoping that this will make a big impact on their quality of life and how easy it is for them to manage with their disease. When would you suggest I, as a GP, refer a patient with HS? As soon as possible would be my wish for the future, so the very first presentation. So I find so much can be done if we can diagnose early, provide all that education, talk about the preventative measures. And I also have found it's really reassuring for patients to know that it's an inflammatory disease, that it's not their fault, that they shouldn't feel ashamed, that they have an immune disease, just like patients with psoriasis or lupus. And that can often help them in their discussions with their family and friends about the disease, which can often appear like they feel dirty and they're draining odorous pus. This sort of thing can make a a really additional negative impact on their life. So yeah, absolutely. The early diagnosis and early referral, I think, can make a, a, a very positive impact on the trajectory of these patients' lives. One of our final skin tips, all patients with hydradenia suppurativa should be referred as soon as possible for specialist dermatology management. In your referral, it helps to mention pain and the impact on quality of life and the presence of secondary infection so that patients can get an appropriate triage category. How can GPs contribute to the multidisciplinary management of HS? GPs can have a hugely important role in supporting patients and in coordinating their care. So specifically in HS, pain management is very important for GPs to address and also the psychological impacts of the disease, which is well known to increase rates of anxiety and depression. 
Again, with smoking cessation, it's really important to support them with the psychological aspects of their addiction to smoking. You know, often patients report to me when we're discussing this that they continue to go back to smoking for the relaxation and reward aspects of it. And so finding other ways to address those needs is really important. And then pharmacological support with quitting smoking, obviously with nicotine and oral medications that can be really effective. And as we mentioned before, the idea of team care arrangements and mental health care plans can be helpful because often these patients are really stretched financially. There's also the other comorbidities that GPs are in a perfect position to be on the lookout for, including things such as obesity, diabetes, inflammatory bowel disease. This topic has been fascinating and there's lots for me to input into my general practice. Let's have some clinical vignettes. Okay, first up, we have Eva, who is a 22-year-old student, and she presents with a two-centimetre firm, painful nodule with overlying erythema in her left axilla. It's been there for about three days. It's occurred once previously, at least, and it took a week or so to resolve on that occasion. Erin, what's your approach to this lady? This is a really good point at which to start education for this lady. I certainly would be examining her for those polyporous comedones and seeing if there was some scar tract formation. And in this early stage, you might be just wanting to rule out things such as a virulent staph strain or any diabetes. But assuming I found those signs of HS, we'd start general preventative measures. So the antiseptic wash, such as Pfizerhex or Chlorhexidine, we'd be starting 1% clindamycin lotion, a common brand I get locally is Dallison lotion. And I'd be certainly wanting to minimise any exposure to cigarette smoking. I'd also suggest you trial resorcinol in the first instance. So it's 15% resorcinol in emollient base, used once or twice daily on that lesion that she's got there in her axilla. And if that was no better after three to four weeks, I'd be thinking about intralesional steroid or the deroofing if there was just this one recurrent spot that she was bothered by. Moving on to our next case. Sian is a 28-year-old woman with a five-year history of HS. She gets regular nodules and abscesses in her axilla and groin. She has quit smoking, had laser hair removal and is attempting to lose weight. She has previously been on a number of short courses of flucloxacillin or cephalexin for acute abscesses. But she feels as though these are no longer enough. How would you approach this? This is sort of classic case that ends up in the dermatology clinic because she's had all those appropriate first-line things uh, with her GP. I think it's important at this point to go back to the general measures and education, and I would be using all of those things again in her. But she's at the point now where we're starting to think about some long-term anti-inflammatory treatments, which would be the long-term antibiotics such as doxycycline or erythromycin, possibly hormonal treatments, the anti-androgen contraceptive pills or spironolactone, and we'd try these for, say, a period of three to four months before we'd consider stepping up the treatment ladder. Again, this is the sort of case where we'd think about any insulin resistance and the merits of adding in metformin. And if we were getting nowhere with all of those things, uh, we'd be likely to start considering the option of immune suppression with adalumumab. Again, in chronic areas, you know, this one spot's always bothering her, always draining. That's a sort of area for intralesional steroids or deroofing. That concludes our episode on hydranisoprativa. Before you go, I'd just like to reinforce that HS is a truly horrible condition. Uh, and in my view, it's a relatively neglected disease entity. As we've heard from Erin today, patients can suffer and develop significant physical and emotional scarring while waiting for that diagnosis. 
Uh, and for me personally, it was one of the reasons I actually chose to specialize in dermatology. If you take only one lesson from today's episode, just know that HS exists and to think of it when you see a patient with an abscess in the armpit or groin. Thank you so much, Erin, for your time and sharing your expertise with us. Thanks very much for having me. Uh, this disease has really, as you said, such a profound impact on the social life and professional function and the emotional shame that's associated with it has been really heartbreaking to see. So I'm thrilled that you are doing podcasts like this because I think this sort of thing is going to go a long way to improving that. So thank you. We would also like to thank our producer and supervisor, Associate Professor Alvin Chong at the Skin Health Institute. And of course, we'd like to thank the education team at the Skin Health Institute for their support. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Spot Diagnosis. Remember, these podcasts are not meant to replace medical advice. If you have a skin condition that requires attention, we strongly encourage you to see your medical practitioner. For listeners who want more information on the subject, a transcript of this episode and links to other resources can be found on our website, spotdiagnosis.org.au. That's spotdiagnosis.org.au. We'll also include a link to the deroofing surgery video that we mentioned earlier, uh, as well as a uh, patient resource that was put together by Erin and some colleagues. Please share Spot Diagnosis with your friends and colleagues. Rate and review us. Let us know what you think. We would really appreciate your feedback and any suggestions.